listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. Uh, we're to start this week's episode in a little more serious of a topic. Um, I know we've both been active and vocal on our personal social media accounts, but we haven't really addressed what's going on in the world um, in this country on this show. Um, so, I mean, there is a ton going on just in the world of college football that kind of has been a fallout of the George Floyd murder, the the unrest, um, trying to end the systemic racism in this country. And we have to start with Iowa football, which, um, I mean, Kirk Ferentz has just been put on blast in the last few days. Started with Chicago Bear James Daniels tweeting about the racial disparities within the program, linked to strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle, and then it just kind of ballooned from there. Yeah, things definitely moved quickly. And then to top it all off, you've got Kirk Ferentz, who's been at Iowa for 20 plus years, who said that, uh, I don't want to say I was blindsided, but I was blindsided by these, which I don't want to say is the most tone deaf thing I've heard, because I, I think we've heard a lot. We've heard some pretty bad things over the last week or two, but it is certainly up there. It's it's kind and I, I hate to make this comparison because the two the two things, let me be totally clear, they're not at all similar. What I'm saying is the reactions by the head coaches are similar, but it's Rick Patino 2.0. Yeah. I am completely unaware of these things going on in my program. I you know, I hold our staff and everyone to the highest standards, whatever can line the university PR team gives them. You know, you have to know, or at least have heard, or have had rumblings, anything of the sort that some of these things were going on. So to come out and just blatantly say, "I didn't, I didn't expect this. I'm, I'm surprised, and you know, never would have thought that this is happening in my program," is nonsense. Yeah, it, I mean, once Bob Stoops retired, Ferentz was stood alone as the longest tenured FBS coach in the country. It is. I mean, pretty much laughable to suggest that things are happening within his program that he doesn't know about. Like, it's it's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's a pretty weak excuse. I understand you're probably trying to spin it so you don't look quite as bad as you do, but it's it's just not working. And I mean, this is basically dating back as far as you know, a decade ago with Doyle and then some. You had the 2011 incident uh, from workout with 13 players suffered from rhabdo. And then Ferentz created a Most Valuable Coach of the Year award that year just to give it to Doyle, which obviously was not well received in the locker room. Um, and, then, and then just the fact that player after player came out, um, or former player mostly, came out and started you know, talking about what was really going on during the scenes. Um, Akram Wadley really went after Brian Ferentz, who went after him during his playing days with a lot of, you know, racist comments. Um, and just the fact that players couldn't really say anything when they were within the program because of an unbelievably archaic social media rule that Iowa had that they just loosened to one pre-approved tweet per month is just like, what world are you living in? I mean, this is of the level of baseball or hockey in lack of marketing awareness. Like, let your players build a brand because it's only going to be better for your program. Then again, 
if they're going to be blowing the whistle on racist activities, then maybe it won't be best for your program. So I guess weigh the scales there a little bit and see which side comes out ahead. But it's it goes to show that we need change. We just need full-blown change. And, you know, it's it's not going to happen easy. It's not going to happen quickly. But there needs to be uh, these conversations and people need to come forward and continue to talk about it because regardless of how tough it is to talk about, it's even harder to live it. So we need to, we need to continue to be discussing this. And it kind of is similar to the Mike Norvell incident, which we'll get to. I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead if you have any more thoughts on Iowa, but, um, down at Florida state where, uh, people are complaining that, uh, Wilson came forward instead of speaking to his head coach directly. And it's like, well, he should come forward and say it. He should also call his head coach. Both of the things happened, and now you know we we move forward, and there's been a good dialogue and all this. But I don't want to I don't want to breeze past Iowa. If you've got any more thoughts there, yeah, Florida State's a, a more positive result and something we saw growth from. Um, but I yeah, this this Iowa situation and it it again speaks to how there's no way Ferentz had no idea what was going on. He runs such a tight ship has for a while that is his reputation and it's it's kind of for him i would imagine it an end justifies the means mentality where you've got the highest paid strength and conditioning coach in the country who is consistently turning two and three star recruits into nfl players mm-hmm. but you can't turn a blind eye deaf ear to you know the the impact it's having on your program culture where you're making players feel lesser and guys have come out and said they felt like they were under constant scrutiny so much anxiety from interaction with Doyle and other assistant coaches that they felt like they had to constantly walk on eggshells mm-hmm. That's just not acceptable in uh, this day and age and it's obviously players are are feeling more comfortable former players obviously more so feeling more comfortable speaking out about this due to you know, people basically pointing out casual racism and active racism in, in all facets of American life. Um, like it's it's remarkable. And, and you start to wonder how much of this, you know, we we just let go on for for all these years. And it's it's kind of a, a stark contrast um, between, you know, still a lot of former players came out in support of Ferentz. Reminded me a lot of Kevin Wilson's final days in Indiana, where you had the players that were mistreated speaking out very negatively against the coach. And then players who, you know, didn't have the same experience, might not have been fully aware of what was going on, rushing to come to their coach's aid. And I I think that's probably what happened more than anything else, just people not being aware uh, of what's going on. And it's it's tough. It's this is a situation where I, I really don't see how you know, with all these allegations that Doyle is going to be able to keep his job. It's uh, it's going to be tough for parents, too, I think, because this is uh, some of the stuff that's come out is pretty, pretty despicable. Probably forced retirement. I don't know that they should fire him. Yeah, that's I, that's me personally. I'll, I'll take take that claim. Um, I, I mean, just continuing to read through the comments like. I'm very, very sorry for any hardships that any of them have endured. Uh, if they didn't feel safe to speak freely, that's certainly that I th- certainly something I feel very regretful about. Their anger and frustrations have been noted, and we intend to move some things, uh, something forward to improve things. It's it sounds like a canned HR response that you get when you email in somewhere, and they're like, "Yeah, we, you know, your concerns have been noted. Like someone will follow up to you, follow up with you in five to seven business days." It's difficult 
to see a world where one or both don't lose their job. I mean, there, there's, there should be a change. If University of Iowa is serious and, you know, cares about the well-being of their student athletes and, you know, the, wiping away the, the bad that has already been done, they've got to act swiftly. Easier said than done. There, you know, there are millions of dollars involved here. There's a lot of publicity and a lot of, you know, donors probably that will speak up on behalf of Kirk Ferentz and all sorts of, you know, things in the background that are going to happen. It feels like a chance to draw a line and, you know, really come out strongly and in favor of if you can't treat ever, if you can't treat your, your players that are making you millions of dollars and all the fame and success in the world fairly and equally, you shouldn't have your job. You should not be here. This is not the place for you. If there is an entrenched system of mistreatment that has been built up over your 22-year tenure, you're probably not the guy to change the culture back for the better. You probably have to start with a clean slate. And right. the fact that Ference's response is more or less sticking his head in the sand is not you know, helping to dispel that notion. And I think that's very similar to what Tabo Sweeney is doing at Clemson. Um, basically, Trevor Lawrence has has been out in front of this from the start, um, using his platform to, to talk about how there needs to be change um, in this country. And Dabo Sweeney, for the most part, has solely talked about football or, you know, forgiveness and, and kind of like you were saying, canned answers, empty platitudes, uh, rather than actually taking stands. Um, and that only has made matters worse when you consider that he has been asked by countless people for some kind of action um, against his assistant coach um, from the racial slur from Danny Pierman in 2017 practice. And he has largely just been silent on that. Uh, when you when you consider the, the media outrage um, over Urban Meyer, Zach Smith situation. Um, and I mean, for the most part, it doesn't seem like Dabo has been getting crucified by the media as much, save for Bomani Jones, who has been spot on with, with everything he said about it. Um, it seems like it's just been a lot of former players coming over the top, expressing how disappointed they are in their former head coach by, I mean, just inactivity. It is tough and telling when your 20 year old quarterback is giving not only just speaking, not only speaking out, but speaking strongly and eloquently about the situation at hand, and you can't even give an answer. I mean, where are these people? We, you and I talked earlier in the week, uh, last week, about how quiet the coaching fraternity has been, and especially the big names. And this is, I mean, this is it. In college football, you've got Nick Saban and you've got Dabo Sweeney. Those are probably the two biggest names in the entire sport. Dabo Sweeney has basically gone into hiding. He has not done or said anything of substance. He has not, he, he gives these, like, re, like you said, canned answers, but like religious based canned answers because he is a man of faith and this, that, the other, and said, you know, we live in an imperfect world full of sin and all this. And it's like, just stand up and say that you're against this. I mean, he, he's struggling clearly struggling with this personally and I'm not sure why but he someone needs to get a hold of him whether it is his current players or someone in the staff somebody needs to talk to him and tell him look you need to come out and say something because the longer you stay silence is the worst thing you can do here it is absolutely the worst thing you can do here and the longer he stays silent the worse and worse it gets 
I'm not saying speak so that it ends. I'm saying speak because it's the right thing to do. And running from it and hiding from it is not what is going to solve these major issues that are at hand that affect a majority of his team that he claims to care about and love. So I don't get how you can look, you know, 90, 100 guys in the face and tell them that you care about them, you love them, you go to war for them, and then completely turn your back when they need you. If you're going to speak, make it worth something. Actually say right. something of value. And yeah, telling is a key word because it, it is extremely telling. You look across the landscape of college sports, which coaches actually care about their players. And I know my entrenched bias is there. I will, I will be the first. But objectively, you have to look at a guy like Tom Allen who immediately had something of value to say and has been talking the talk and walking the walk the whole time since he's basically taken over the program. The hashtag he's brought over, the LEO, love each other, which was very key um, tone change from the Kevin Wilson era, obviously. But um, with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, he has been there from the jump. It makes logical sense, given that the vast majority of these players are Black, but you, you see so many coaches struggle to embrace it, which is just mind-boggling. Then you have a guy like Tom Allen, who is front and center at protests and marches at Dunmeadow on campus. And I mean, that's that's the kind of guy you would you would want to play for. And you look at some of these other coaches who are more or less, like I said, sticking their heads in the sand or just claiming ignorance for something that has been around basically since the start of this country is just, I mean, it's it's extremely tough to watch. And Debo Sweeney is in a position where he is one of the most prominent figures in college sports, pretty much just him and Nick Saban. So for him to be mostly silent on this matter is, I mean, it's it's pretty upsetting. Yeah, there, there's no other way around it. I think upsetting is a good word. Disappointing is a good word. And I don't know. It's just, it's hard. It's hard for me to put into words what it means for Dabo to not have any or not say any, because it just, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't make sense at all. And uh, you just feel for his team at this point, these guys, these these current players, former players, whomever they are. Um, it's got to be tough that when, you know, I'm not sure when Clemson is going back to summer workouts or if they're doing them currently, but how how do you follow that guy? How do you, you know, strap on the pads and go play for a guy like that? Yeah, and you just... And we're we're both white males. It's it's impossible for us to fully understand um, mm -hmm. what most of these players are going through. But I just yeah, I I don't know how you can confidently stand behind somebody who doesn't seem like he is going to stand behind. Right? How? Why? Why do you have their back if they don't have yours? Yeah. Um, and then Mike Norvell is a, is a little bit of an interesting situation because I, I've gone back and forth on it, and it I don't know if you know he. I mean, you never mean to get yourself in hot water, but it, it almost seemed like a more of him just misspeaking than having any ill intent where he came out and said he, he met with each player individually. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that would be something that you just make up on purpose because it's so easy to disprove that. Right. I mean, he got immediately called out by senior Marvin Wilson, um, basically saying like that didn't happen. So I mean, Norvell did a, a pretty good job or is good considering the circumstances, remedying the situation, had a full team workout or meeting rather in their indoor facility, 
the response and reaction from that was very positive. Um, Wilson came out and said he appreciated his coach encouraging him to use his, his platform, um, you know, to speak out and inspire change. Um, the, the Florida State parents had a meeting, same positive reactions. Um, so this is, this is steps in the right direction for sure. Um, it, it, it kind of speaks to how it's difficult for, you know, us as white Americans to to fully understand everything that's going on. Um, I mean, it's it's just at a time like this, it's it makes a lot more sense to to kind of listen and empathize than I don't know if this is what he meant to do, but seemingly trying to make himself out like more of a hero initially. It's a weird situation. Like that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, at, at one point you're like, holy shit, Florida State's going to be looking for another new head coach, and it's been you know, just disaster after disaster since Jimbo Fisher left. Obviously, that isn't the big story here, but that's one of the thoughts that comes across your mind when this happens. Again, like you said, it's good that it was aired out and people talked about it and there's a an agreement and discuss, like a discussion happened between the team and everyone's on the same page now. Um, Wilson, Marvin Wilson's gone as far as to say as the team has grown together and bonded over the situation, which seems interesting but whatever works at this point like whatever gets the conversation started and whatever gets people talking and get people understanding more importantly is uh is a step in the right direction so i think he kind of fell ass backwards into being like a, a i don't want to say a leader at all because he's not a leader in this but it, as like a positive figure in this. yeah and i i think that was the best you could hope for after how it started out right but yeah his he's got clearly great leadership from the upperclassmen on his team. Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely something they they are building on moving forward. And it seems like they came out of this with you know close to full team buy-in. So I mean that's that's what you need. And those those are the kind of tough conversations that are going to be happening and in, in locker rooms across America as we get back to sports happening again. Um, and it's yeah if if you've got great leadership like that from the players like Marvin Wilson then you know these teams are going to be in much better shape if you know compared to a, a school like Iowa where players can a lot of times be be scared to speak up because of what the coaching staff is agreed i i just agree i think i think that's very well said the only the only pot like at least there is a positive that has come out of it so far i'm sh- i'm sure and hopeful we'll see more but for now at least we turned not we florida state and their team and their players turned a seemingly negative situation into a positive one yeah and and obviously these these issues in the sports world um notwithstanding obviously there are bigger issues at play here um in terms of life and death just basic police brutality police murders but if we can start to weed out some of the systemic racism in basically any facet of our lives then it's it's changed for the better. And that's that's kind of what you hope to see when you look at a program like Florida State and how they've kind of come to a better understanding Mike Norvell has of his players. And we'll kind of keep an eye on that and see how it progresses from here. Um, there is no easy segue after that. No. But we are going to stay in the world of college football. Um, very interesting story. Um, unprecedented. Arizona State punter Michael Turk went undrafted. Um and is going back to school. He he was granted this appeal, um, won an appeal to come back to school um, for an interesting, somewhat understandable reason. There's a pandemic. Uh, his, 
his his explanation was um, his combine did not go well. He impressed in the bench press, which is arguably the least important part of a. Well, tell that to Pat O'Donnell. Yeah, he outbenched Jadeveon Clowney, and now he's got a he's had a job for a while. Not exactly apples to apples there, um, <laughs> but his, his actual punting at the combine was not great. And then, of course, didn't have the ability to make up for it at his pro day or individual workouts with pro teams. So that was kind of his reasoning for, for wanting to come back, um, not really getting a fair shake in the whole pre-draft process, which whatever. But he's back, back for uh, for Herm and the Sun Devils. Just when you think you've got the NCAA figured out, they go and do something like this and just muddy the waters even more. I mean, what what else? What, what is the next thing they're going to do? I Because I, they, they continue to break ground in new areas that just make no sense and that they shouldn't even be touching. Like this should have been an open and shut case of, nope, you, you left, you went pro, you knew the risk when you, when you signed with an agent and decided to leave. That's it. You're done. Sorry. Maybe, maybe they were just like, oh, well, it's a punter. Like, is he going to make that big a difference for Arizona State next year? I don't know. I hope he has a great year and, you know, things work out because he has simply gamed the system at this point. Um, I don't get it. I, I don't think I'll ever get it. But the NCAA continues to do NCAA things. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was a first team all Pac-12 punter last year, so presumably he'll make a difference. But... The same issue that as, as we were talking about when we had the same discussion regarding basketball, players going undrafted, returning to school, and, and what we could see this year with the NBA pushing everything back, the lottery and you know the withdrawal date from the bat, from the draft, mm-hmm. most guys' spots are gonna be filled yeah. at that point. And you know, Arizona State, once Turk committed to being in the draft, they thought he was gone. So what did they do? They went out and signed grad transfer Logan Tyler from Florida State, who led the ACC in punting last year. So there's no guarantee that Turk will even be able to win his old job back. There's there's a possibility that they just have Tyler kick and Turk punt, but like this is this is 100% the risky run if you were to ever enact you know NCAA legislation like this on a widespread scale. Yeah. I mean, it's June 8th. Did we ever think we'd be talking about the kicking situation at Arizona State? <laughs> this is this is just insane, and it's all of the NCAA's doing. I mean, you there's so many ripple effects that come into this, and it, it's hard to fathom all the things that are now affected. Like you said, we've got a grad transfer who's also a good punter that should easily, uh, like, would have had the starting job at uh, Arizona State. Now there's a competition. And like, would he? Obviously, he would have gone somewhere else from Florida State if uh, if he knew that Michael Turk yeah. was coming back to ASU. So it, now what? There, there are no unless unless they split the kicking and punting duties. There's there's no good two punter system you can use out there, which you can sometimes get away with with quarterbacks or most other positions. So Hearn's got a bit of a uh, thinker on his hands. Here we'll, we'll have no to- better man for the job though. Yeah. I don't know, but that's, I mean, this is a uh, a slippery slope potentially, but the NCAA could cover their ass and just say, you know, pandemic exception. It, it remains to be seen if any other players are going to try to take this route um, because they're obviously, if Turk's making this case, there are obviously 
a lot of other players who can make the exact same case. Right. Um, but nothing, nothing that I've seen so far, but it, it wouldn't surprise me seeing this go through to see more situations like this or players at least trying to get an appeal approved. Um, it, then it, it just opens up another bag of worms of like, what's different between Michael Turk and I can't even think of someone that went on draft. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of anyone that went undrafted that was an underclassman. But I was trying to think of a quarterback, basically. Like they exist. They, they do, but quarterbacks. But there are definitely. But like, what's the difference between the two? You know, why why can one get a, a waiver and the other not? I mean, they'll find a way. Like it, there there is seemingly no rhyme or reason as is to who gets a waiver, who doesn't. Um, for yep. me, NCAA, they they've just been all over the place. Um, so it, it would not surprise me to see someone with basically everything the same except for they play a different position, try this, and just get NCAA, get NCAA. Khalil Tate didn't go pro, did he? Uh, I'm pretty sure he exhausted his eligibility. Oh, that would be it then, yeah. Cole McDonald is the other name I was trying to trying to get uh, yeah. from Hawaii. He got drafted. Yeah, he did in the seventh round. But anyways, excited when I saw his name come across the screen. Yeah, <laughs> won, won me a lot of over bets <laughs> in the past. Um, anyway, speaking of the NCAA, just doing whatever the hell they want. Oklahoma State getting the proverbial hammer for, I mean, I don't want to say nothing, but basically nothing. They, I mean, this is a huge thing. And people, people are acting like it's not a big deal because it's only a one-year oh, ban. This is huge. I mean... Cade Cunningham is the top player in the entire country in the 2020 recruiting class. He is basically now like he has a legitimate argument to get out of his national letter of intent and he can either go somewhere else or he can go pro. Those are all better options than Oklahoma State at this point. And like, what does it do to the trajectory of Mike Boynton's career? What does it do? Like, What does it do for Oklahoma State recruiting? They can't. I mean, what is what is the appeal? I mean, if if Cade Cunningham gets a gets a waiver to go wherever, like open his recruitment back up, then Mon- Matthew Moncrief Alexander, whatever I can't remember his name, he's Canadian wing. He's also a pretty highly touted recruit. He can also get a waiver, and it's like all of a sudden Oklahoma State loses all this talent that they were going to have in a year where they probably could have gotten back to the NCAA tournament or at least competed. When you can, you know, considering you've got a top notch player like Cunningham, but it it just opens the door to so many different things now. And then you wonder, what are schools that have way more going on, like Kansas, what are they going to get? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is not good. Obviously, if, if you're going to be a one-and-done, you're, you're not going to play somewhere that has a postseason ban. So obviously, Oklahoma State is trying to appeal this because realistically, based on all available information, this looks like the equivalent of getting – life in prison for a parking ticket. <laughs> and like Lamont Adams, who is basically at the center of all this, basically accepted bribes to quote unquote influence players when he was at South Carolina, Oklahoma State, and he paid Jeffrey Carroll, who is already on the roster, $300. So Oklahoma State really did not see any sort of recruiting benefit. He wasn't out there dropping bags um, to players and getting them to come to Oklahoma State. So from their perspective, kind of like, all right, we we found out this was a thing in 2017. We got rid of him right away. Um, it's at this point, three years later, a former employee who who doesn't work here is engaged in some shady activity, but 
for all intents and purposes, just working alone, um, not not really doing anything to better Oklahoma State basketball. And I think that's fair considering, you know, they weren't exactly world beaters during that time anyway. Um, and then you get in the postseason band, you're losing three scholarships, basically a reduction in every recruiting activity over the next couple of years, officials, unofficials, phone calls, recruiting days, all that fun stuff. And it seems like a lot. And like you said, when you look at who else is kind of dangling in the wind out there, this was one level one charge that Oklahoma State got all this for. Kansas has five, USC, Arizona, Auburn, all basically facing the same thing as Oklahoma State, actions of former assistant coaches. So if they're all looking at this same punishment, and Kansas is looking at five times it potentially. Um, yeah. If Oklahoma state doesn't win this appeal, a lot of college basketball programs are fucked. Yeah. I mean, th this is the big swing and dick that the NCAA has been like the Trump card that they've been holding onto forever. Seemingly since I can't remember the agents the FBI agents name, but basically when he came out in the Southern district of New York and was like, we're taking down the NCAA or like, we're taking down the scandal of, like paying players in the NCAA in college basketball. Um, the, what is it? The heist? I can't remember the name. The Christian Dawkins documentary on HBO. Sounds right. Is really good for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But uh, the scheme, the scheme, ah, really yeah. good. But it basically goes into how the FBI was so poorly, like so poorly constructed their case that they were trying to get him to bribe coaches instead of, understanding that it was paying players to get them to go to these universities and it's just like so ass backwards but it is hilarious to see how poorly the fbi did in this case and now it's still like okay we we found them taking money so now we've got to do something right yeah. and here it comes it's it's one of those like kind of trying to make up for looking completely incompetent right opinion um because that that's just a very 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 baseline understanding of how the system would work like it doesn't make any logical sense that you would be bribing the coaches in these situations but christian dawkins himself i'm pretty sure i i can't remember oh, yeah. the exact quote but he's like these people are dumb as fuck they don't get it <laughs> he said it's a book richardson and it's like okay here we go like we're just gonna take their money and he's like yeah i spent like 30 grand of fbi money in vegas like gambling and buying hotel suites and stuff that that has the same effect you're just flushing the money away right it's it's not leading to anything else other than you can say this guy took a bribe but like it doesn't do anything it doesn't really have anything to do with recruiting no not even slightly and okay. just it's very it's very good it, it'll give you a good laugh uh, when you watch it, but certainly gives you a good uh, insight into like what actually they uncovered and what was going on. There's there's very much wrongdoings in there. There are some wiretaps that you get to hear. Will Wade and Sean Miller uh, specifically are on there, but it it's just so funny to see what the FBI like tried to base their case on. There are definitely bags being dropped, but yes. This there confirmed is, it. There is an altogether wrong way to go about exposing that, and that's exactly the other. That is what happened. Um, so I mean, like the Dion case is, is still pending. Like he, he yeah, is, you have to testify now, which is going to be very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. if that out, but it would be a real shame if some stuff had to come out in court. We would most certainly hate to see it. Coach K will be scheduling back surgery again any day now. 
will take over the program for those couple of days. So any losses can be attributed to him. Of course. <laughs> That's an important thing to mention. Um, all time moves. Um, speaking of some recruiting stuff, Mike Miller, lead recruiter on many of Memphis's bigger signings under Penny Hardaway, stepping away from the program, um, saying he wants to spend more time from, with his family, which in a vacuum checks out. There is uh there's not a lot of time to spare for your family if you are in the world of college bas- basketball coaching. Do you believe him or do you think he is going to be taking a job doing something? I believe him. I, I feel like he should be ready to be a head coach himself. Like, I feel like he's there already. I feel like this is also one of those, I'm going to take a year off. So it looks like I really like contemplated this and whatever, not urban Meyer exactly, but (laughs) close to it. And, you know, I realized that there's just a lot of spare time when you're at home with your wife and kids all day. And he wanted to get back in it. Um, The other thought I had is like, is he afraid that like, that something is going to hit Memphis and he's going to get tagged for it? and kind of put a black mark on his coaching resume. There's nothing to say that that is what could happen or is going to happen, but it is certainly uh, something that came into my head. So there's a lot of different things to think. At any rate, I think in five years, he'll be a head coach somewhere or like an NBA assistant, depending on what he prefers. But I don't think this is the end of Mike Miller in college basketball. No, and I mean, if something nefarious was going on, when he was at Memphis, he's going to get caught up in it anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be impossible for him to do something immediately. But yeah, I, let's call it what it is, the Urban Meyer. Like, I, yep. I think there's a strong possibility that he does, you know, take a couple of years off, connect with his family, um, which you know is is not anything to scoff at. That is on its head a noble pursuit. Uh, you, you might have just gotten tired of, as we've seen videos come out, on Twitter, just watching everyone on Memphis, uh, they try to defend him. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of one of those things where I think in uh, in two to three years we might see him pop up somewhere else, um, whether in an assistant or head coaching capacity. Too many people keep talking about Mike White going to Duke, which I I don't I don't think he's he's how. Done- Good enough job at Florida because of the connections. Uh, this is a this is a big time Titus and Tate thing, mostly Tate. But keep talking about Mike White going. To I Duke would put Chris Collins at Duke over Mike White, sir. I said what I said, sir. I said what I said. You 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 know you know Chris Collins' place on this show. It is it is sub basement. Um, if, I mean, if we want to go back to talking about player mistreatment, um, <laughs> yes, let's get started on the Wildcat internship program. But yeah, if, if the crazy happens and Mike White goes to Duke, Mike Miller go, going back to his alma mater at Florida, I could see picking up some steam since that is what is in vogue in college basketball is just hire someone who used to be really, really good as a player at your school. And as we've seen, the results have all been overwhelmingly positive. So yeah, other than that, nothing really jumps out as a uh, as an obvious destination. Um, I mean, it, he he could he could work at either level. Like yeah. take a couple of years off, take an assistant job in the NBA, go that route. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, take him at his word that he just needs some time off. But it's it's pretty far fetched to think that this is the last we'll see of the coaching, especially just considering how good he was at his job. Like <laughs> Memphis doesn't land that recruiting class without him. 
Sure, yeah. Penny had the connections to James Wiseman previously, but almost every other player, I mean, Achua, Boogie Ellis, um, Quinones, all of them had the connection with Mike Miller. He was the lead recruiter on all those yeah. guys, and that's why they were there. Yeah, far from a one-man class. So that's – yeah. Yeah, his he has demonstrated value clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's going to keep him being a desirable coaching candidate, whether assistant or head coach. So we'll we'll circle back in about three years and uh, see where the the chips fall on that. When he's one of our best hires in whatever conference he ends up going to. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's true. Um, so Justin Smith is joining the must bus just. Eric is loading up on grad transfers, um, as he is wants to do, just transfers in general. But now he's got three. I I would safely say that Justin Smith is the, I mean, highest caliber uh, in terms of, you know, what he was able to do previously. You've got Jalen Tate, Northern Kentucky, Vance Jackson, another forward um, from New Mexico who is having their own issues with players leaving after getting a million transfer in, but that's a story for another day. And now Justin Smith. Um, I don't I don't hate the move for either party. It it makes too much sense when you look at it sometimes. Um, it is just another pure must bust move though. This is this is what he does. This is where he wants to live. He's got a couple good freshmen coming in as well. If he can land, you know, a pair of four stars and then just load up on either sit out or grab, you know, whatever transfer he wants. He's going to be lit, like in the ideal setting. Obviously, you know, Nevada was built on transfers when he was there, and it all led up to the what 2018 season. Um, that fell a little short of what they were hoping for. But now, if he can continue to do this, you know, cycling in the freshman as well because he's got the bigger brand and easier job to recruit at an SEC school than, you know, Reno, Nevada, he's going to have a, just a plethora of talent to work with. Yeah. I mean, and there, there still is a possibility that Isaiah Joe comes back to school, at which point you would have to do a little uh, spring or fall cleaning and somehow get one of your other scholarship players out of there. Or just defer it, a la Luke May, or something like that. But yeah, this is a uh, this is an Arkansas team that's shaping up nicely. the The one thing they really missed last year um, was interior scoring, which is why it was so frustrating for me as an Indiana fan that Archie just went away from feeding Trace Jackson Davis and he didn't finish with like forty and twenty five in that game. Mm-hmm. But Ultimately, it seems like the three-game series over the last couple of years um, between Arkansas and Indiana was for Justin Smith's soul. Arkansas won two out of three. They get him, and they have a player that can consistently score inside. Um, Justin Smith was unfairly vilified by a lot of Indiana's fan base for, I mean, reasons. It's it's Southern Indiana, but uh, similar to Troy Williams during his time there, it's a lot of frustration with Relative lack of ball handling, um, not really known as a three-point shooter. Um, had a consistently improving mid-range game. Athletic is all heck. Um, can jump out of the gym, posterize anybody in moments notice, and he can play a lot bigger than his six-seven frame, which is great for a school like Arkansas that normally will do four round one or just play a lot of small ball in general. Um, he can play the small ball five if needed for muscle men and. I think between him and Vance Jackson, they're probably going to see a lot of time, you know, switching off 
between that and, you know, just being in the same lineup together as the four and five. So I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense from the schematic perspective as well. Yeah, he, he's got guys that fit his style of play. And I think, I feel like Arkansas just kind of ran out of steam last year. And it's sort of what we saw at Nevada, but to a lesser extent with Arkansas. And now they've got a little more depth to work with and certainly the right guys to fit what Musselman wants to do. So they, they'll be <clears throat> good. I don't know that they'll compete for the SEC title because it's just going to be so top heavy, but they will be in that middle tier for sure. Yeah, I mean, when, when Isaiah Joe was healthy last year, they were a top 25 caliber team. Um, and after him, they that was when they really fell apart down the stretch. Mason Jones could only do so much. And, I mean, he was one of the very, very few guys who could actually score inside. It's it's kind of a, a bombs away team last year. They, they have been the last couple of years, except for – you know, having a guy like Daniel Gafford to just do everything inside. They didn't have anybody like that last year, um, and, and they really don't this year. But, again, it, it kind of lends itself to more of the small ball approach that is becoming more prevalent across college basketball and certainly one that Musselman likes to play. Um, having versatile guys in the post, um, the ability to play inside or outside and drive and kick as needed um, is, is going to be huge. And when you have a – a lineup with Justin Smith at the five, you can you can run up and down the court all day long. And I mean it's it's not necessarily 40 minutes of hell anymore, but Musselman is a guy who likes to ride his players for better or worse. Yeah. There you're gonna play your minutes, that's for damn sure. If you crack that rotation, you're you're gonna be playing. Um got anything else on real sports? No, I don't. I was dreading this, but it, it has I'm to happen. Gonna, it, it's what it is. So we are through um, first couple of games of our simulated season. Heat check CBB on Twitter. Um, once again, for anyone who hasn't listened for the last month or so, but we had some early season tournaments. I was playing in Cancun. B Frank was in lovely Corpus Christi, Texas. Yep. And, uh, how, how did that go? I'll say this. The simulation is fairly accurate to real life because it was a Seton Hall letdown at an early season tournament yet again. Lose by double digits to North Florida, who is significantly worse than us. And uh, silver lining is they won the tournament. So I guess, you know, we lost to the best team, but struggled mightily to find the offense despite having four guys that are pretty highly rated. Two and one, so definitely a stern talking to from the team. And the the only... Bright spot is that uh, fake John Rothstein has planted the seed that we are the favorites to land the top point guard in the uh, recruiting class. And we'll hopefully find out tonight after uh, they just finished the Phil Knight Invitational title. UConn upset North Carolina, so also fairly true to form. I feel like UConn always overachieves in early season tournaments. Um, but after Maui tonight, the standings and records should update, and hopefully the recruits from the first um, batch of offers will sign, and we will find out if there is anything to Rothstein's recruiting tweets. He also had, sent one out about Stanford and another five star earlier. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm his DMs are open, so I'm sure you will fill them with death threats if it turns out he was just completely yanking everyone's chain. So that's uh, something to look forward to. It'll kill fake Rothstein's credibility, which real Rothstein would never like to hear. Oh, that's true. I'm thinking about that. But that, so that's that's the spin right there. That's what I'm that's what I'm focusing on. Yeah, that's yeah. 
did not consider that, but I, I, I like some of the, uh, the fake Rothsteinisms he's created, um, such as Wayne Tinkle, you just got peed on. Yep. Which I, I feel like was more speaking about Oregon State losing, but apparently they won. So there's that. Um, yeah, but Georgia basketball, we are uh, we're about where we thought we would be. Two and one in the Cancun Challenge, lost in the semifinals to heartbreaker to eventual champ Arizona State. Two blasts over not good teams, but beat Radford by 40 points. So there you go. That's something considering we lost our exhibition by 32 to an unnamed school. So that's people uh, will forget. <laughs> They're already seeing progress in the early season. Um, sent out two offers to four stars. Didn't have any five stars interested in this early cycle. I'm still waiting on, I forget his name, but the five-star power forward from Georgia. Yeah. What the hell is I, his name? I need, I need some interest to be shown or else. Kelvin Middleton. Kelvin Middleton. Okay. Jay George is my my cornerstone of the program. If he, if he commits. If, if I'm not even going to get interest then then what's this even all been about right what have i been dropping bags for <laughs> to assistant coaches that's you've been pulling the fbi yeah i don't know it's it's hard to say but anyway um promising start we've got the start of the uh the actual regular season coming up shortly do you know who you start with uh it should be mississippi state maybe i can't remember off the top of my head it is yeah mississippi state away feeling less confident about that than i was uh you know two days ago but mississippi state san diego and then alabama on the road so not an easy start uh i can't find the locker room anymore so i don't know if i actually what my start is but i i want to say missouri state and that's uh something i might have to stick with but i feel like for me it's going to get worse before it gets better so we will uh missouri state youngstown state and hawaii for you that's uh, i know i my marquee game is against syracuse who already lost to green bay so maybe that's winnable but i am uh i'm concerned concerned about how my defense is going to hold up this year because i'm i'm not i'm not thinking good. oh yeah that's uh four winnable games out of the gate sacramento state then before syracuse uh for yeah, that's uh, SEC play is not going to be kind to me. So if we can have a uh, a Georgetown under Patrick Ewing or Kevin Keats under NC State, great start to the non-conference before it all falls apart. I will take it. Expectations hey, are low. Whatever, whatever works, right? Yeah, this, we're not we're not in it for year one. That's why we tried to get the postseason ban going. But we will. Uh, it's all about year two and beyond. But yep. You, this is uh, this is all you this year. Got to. Uh, I don't feel good. <laughs> based on preseason rankings, we got to be thinking uh, Sweet Sixteen run, and then add Jay George next year, and who knows? But yeah, slow out of the gate, it happens. This is the Seton Hall way. Art imitates life. Um, okay, so that is it for us. We will be back next week with hopefully a lot more to talk about. Hopefully, some uh, some more positive returns from the world of fake basketball, but. Till then, keep uh, keep reading the site. Keep following us on Twitter, B Fox, B Frank Show, and we will see you next time.